0: The victory of the Messiah. Jesus Christ is your victory. When he crushed the serpent's head at, at Calvary and he rose from the dead, he gave you victory. I want you to think about the cross for a moment. We're going to talk about the prophecy in Genesis of the Messiah. But I want you to think about the effect of the cross in your life. And there's three dimensions of your being. When God created you, he created you body, soul, and spirit. And sometimes the effect of the cross doesn't have its full effect because it only moves itself into into the soulish or the physical man, but not into the spiritual man. So I want you to think about this. You might want to reproduce this diagram somewhere so you have it. But if you think about body, soul, and spirit, and the idea is that man is really... All three of those things. He is body, soul, and spirit. And your body, it's, it's obvious. That's this outer shell that we have. But the soulish man is that mind, will, and emotions. And then the spirit man is how you were created to communicate and be in, in communion with God. So as you think about the cross, think about it like this. Sometimes the cross in our life... Only affects this dimension. And when it only affects the the body of man, what it really does is it, it doesn't have its full effect. It doesn't take hold and take root the way that God wants us to take hold. So what it really does, it manifests itself in that we feel wounded. So when the cross doesn't really work deep in us, what we do is we take up an offense or we feel hurt. When the cross begins to get a little bit deeper into us, into our soul, the effects of it, it begins to hit the soulish part of man, we begin to understand that what it does there is it enlightens us. And it begins to say, oh, now I get it, now I understand it. I remember when I was a, was just kind of a, a young man and, and I was going to church, but I didn't understand the power of God. I wasn't converted. I wasn't transformed yet by God. And I would hear about Jesus dying on the cross, and I would wonder, well, what, why did he do that? And nobody really told me, or if they did, I wasn't listening. And I was afraid to ask. I thought, well, why would I ask about that? Because everybody knows but me, and I didn't want to appear stupid. And so I allowed it just to kind of stay in this area of kind of enlightening me. Oh, he died on the cross but not really knowing why, because it it hadn't yet transformed me. It needed to get down into the spirit part of man so that it really could transform. Because when the cross begins to take on this dimension, it crosses all three of those areas, and now it begins to become effective in my life. And what Jesus did at, the, at, at Calvary was he was showing us and helping us to understand what does it mean for us to really embrace this promise of God, of transformation in our life. Now, if we go back, we could, we could also just describe over these, this really expresses religion. Religion is all about me just trying to somehow please God. And sometimes I, I try to work out this religious thing, and I work out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so everything in my life is evaluated, is this good or is this evil? Instead of is this transformational, is this life-giving? And God wants us to be life-giving spirits. And Instead of trying to evaluate and try to understand, well, you know, he's a really good Christian, he's not a good Christian, he's, not a, he's a bad Christian. You see, that's out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Out of life becomes that spirit of God, that, that ever-flowing move of God in our life. But this really becomes religion. This really becomes philosophy. Philosophy is the way I think and the way I process. And so if I if I think about the cross from a philosophical standpoint, I think, well, it's enlightening, and it does this for me, and it does that for me. But we want to move it to that next level, and that is here and this is Christianity. This is really all about Jesus. It's about how do I live this transformed life? How do, I, how do I allow the Spirit of God to move in me in such a way that the cross really does have an effect in my body, in my soul, and in my spirit man? Now, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Just listen as I, as I read to you from the book of John, chapter 12, and verse 22. This is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if we stop right there, we might in our earthly, in our soulish man, we might say glorified. Well, that means they're going to make him great, right? That means what's going to happen is he's going to be honored because of all the things he did. He's going to be glorified. He's going to be praised. But listen to how Jesus interprets that. Most assuredly, I say unto you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. He defined glorification by death. He said, unless death happens first, there can be no glory. Jesus would model that in his life. His idea of glory was not being lifted up by man, but rather to be dying and, and giving his life as a ransom for many, and then to be to be buried and risen up that then people might understand, oh, this is what it's all about. Now, what's amazing is, as we're studying through the book of Genesis, and we have been since January, we come now to chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15. It's the first prophecy... Of the coming Messiah, and it's so clear, and it's so so uh, uh, spelled out for us, not only in Genesis but throughout Scripture, that it's undeniable how God has put this together. So let's look at Genesis chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. So the Lord said to the serpent, and that literally word means hissing. You ever heard hissing? I don't mean of a real serpent. I mean, have you ever heard hissing that comes from the enemy? It comes sometimes in nagging. It comes something like this: like, "Oh, what are you doing?" and and it's just kind of always there, just hissing, aggravating, nagging, nagging. Versus the spirit of God that is still, small, quiet, gentle voice that just guides you and leads you. It says, "Because you have done this." Now he's speaking. God is now speaking to the woman, and this this fall from 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 God this taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you have done this, you are cursed. And now he begins to speak here to the serpent. He says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly shall you go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then look what he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, that is the seed of the serpent, and her seed, and that would be Jesus. know what he's really predicting here? He's really giving us? He's giving us a prophecy of the virgin birth. You realize that women don't have seed. Men do. And when he says the seed of the woman, he's pointing to something miraculous here. And he's saying there's going to come one Jesus who's going to be born by a miraculous method, that is virgin birth, but don't forget there's also going to be the serpent seed that's going to attack and try to disrupt and try to kill. And look what it says. He shall bruise your head. That's a fatal wound, and you shall bruise his heel. And that idea of bruising means to lie in wait, to crush. You see, it was always Satan's intent in the life of Jesus to crush him, to destroy him. Do you know what? It's the same thing for you. What does he want to do in your life? He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. The Bible says that, that Satan is a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. What does he want to do? He wants to take our life and crush it and destroy it. He wants to get us thinking up here in this area or in this area. He says, as long as you stay here with the cross, I'm happy with you. It's when you get down here and it becomes transformational that Satan gets nervous. Because up here, I like it when you're religious. I like it when you're philosophical. I don't like it when you're transformed. I don't like it when you try to live out the Christ-like life and live out the, the life of grace and mercy. But it says, but what's going to happen is, you might bruise his heel, Satan, but he is going to crush your head. Let me tell you why it all matters. There's a battle for your soul. You say, well, I'm a Christian. There's still a battle for your soul. And sometimes the Bible describes soul in this way. Sometimes it uses it to describe the whole dimension of man, that is spirit and soul. But there is a battle for your soul, and every day Satan is taking to aim, and every day he's looking at those kinks in your armor. Every day he's saying, how can I get you? How can I take you down? How can I destroy you? And he's patient. He doesn't mind if it takes forever. He can wait. He can wait you out. He's been watching you for many years. He says, I know how to get you. But God always comes back, but I know how to transform you. I know how to take you from here to here if you'll let me do that. You see, why Satan battles man is the image of God. You were created in the image of Almighty God. Oh, not in your physical appearance. You know, I love to just sit and watch people. Do you like to just watch people? And I, I just love to sit and watch. And I, I was... At a, at a street light the other day, and we were watching people were coming by, and the, it was, seemed like it was never going to let us pass. And, and there just hundreds of people seemed to be coming, and I know it wasn't that many, but it seemed like it. But I sat there and I marveled that every single person looked different. That always just surprises me. God, how can every person look different? I mean, they really have the same basic parts, you know? They just got, you know, just like five or six things on their head and hair. I mean, I just, how does everybody look different? And I realize that somehow, not, it's not the physical, and yet it is in some way, that the image of God is so multifaceted that the expression of the way he, he, he shows himself in people, not only spiritually and mentally and emotionally, but even physical. And sometimes, you know, we, we in, our, in our society, we kind of lift up people that are prettier or, or have more popularity or have more power, and yet God has none of that. That's not important to God. You know, and, and sometimes you look and you say, you know, every single person, regardless whether they're tall or thin or short or handsome or beautiful, by, by this world stand, every one of them is a reflection of almighty God and significant and important. And to be valued, to be valued equally among all of us, amen? And and it's the image of God, and and Satan was never created in the image of God. So when he sees the image of God reflecting in you, you know, it it increases the battle, the cost that's going to be paid. But it's also the glory of God. Do you realize that you were created to glorify God? And every time you glorify God in a simple way, just by saying, you know, I want to give God thanks for this day. Waking up in the morning and say, you know, God, I just want to thank you for today. I have today. Sometimes we get tempted to go into tomorrow. Have you ever done that? Oh, what am I going to do about tomorrow? God says, you don't even have the promise of that. All you have the promise of is today. What will you do with your today? God keeps reminding us. And then there is the destiny of man as well. You see, God has an eternal purpose for those created in his image who bring him glory, and that is he has a purpose for you in all eternity that far exceeds everything you could ever ask or think in this present world. And if you let this present world crush you and get you down, you lose out on what God's eternal purpose is for you. When we go back to this, this idea of the cross and this promise, well, I want you to see the prophecy in Scripture. It is a prophecy of conflict and of victory. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14, and look what it says. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. Now, notice what God says. Part of the reason that I put the sun and the moon and the stars in the heavens It's not just so you can divide up and understand something about day and night, but it's also for a sign. I wanted you to see me. I wanted you to see in my creation that I am the mighty God, that I love you, that I have something significant for you. Then let's go to Psalm 19 in verse 1, and look what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. You know, when you go out into the night sky and you see the stars and you see the constellations, you see the planets, don't you just stop sometimes and just say, thank you, God. It is for the glory of God that I see the stars and I see what God has done. When I was in college, I I had a, a course on astronomy. Not astrology, astronomy. There is a difference. And my course in astronomy, my professor happened to be a Christian, and I remember he would ask ask those who were Christians to come over to his to his apartment. His wife would cook for us, and then he would get out this giant telescope, which it seemed giant. By standards of the world, it probably was pretty small, but he would allow us to then to look, and it was motorized, and it would move with the rotation of the earth, and so you could watch these stars, and he would begin to describe something about location and something about the way the constellations were put, and he would talk to us about how God hung every star in its place and gave every, every one of them names. Do you realize that God named all the stars, it says in Scripture? He didn't give that task to Adam. He said, no, this is my job. This is how I'm going to declare my glory in the heavens. It says in Psalm 147 in verse 4, he counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. Think about that. If you've ever looked up and you've, you can spot one of those constellations, you know, most people can spot the Big Dipper and the Small Dipper, and some of you can, can find Orion and some of those, and you, you look at those and you say, isn't marvelous how God put these things in their place? Historically, we know that it would be much, much later than God's arrangement of the stars that those who would follow after astrology would try to pervert what God did in the heavens. Would try to move you from faith in that God who created into fate, and your destiny was determined by where you were born and and what was happening in your life at that particular time, and God would have none of that. The constellations were designed by God to teach man about God's power and his plan for redemption. The stars were never intended to predict man's fate, but rather to point to the true and the living God. In the book The Privileged Planet Gonzalez and Richards writes this We stand gazing at the heavens beyond our little oasis called earth We gaze not into a meaningless abyss but into a wondrous arena commensurate with our capacity for discovery Perhaps we have been staring past a cosmic signal far more significant than any mere sequence of numbers a signal revealing a universe so skillfully crafted for life and discovery that it seems to whisper an intelligence none other than the God of the Bible. Immeasurably more vast, more ancient, more magnificent than anything we've been willing to expect or to imagine. In Genesis 3 and verse 15 God gives us a prophecy thousands and thousands of years ago, thousands of years before, before the Greeks ever came along and thought, listen, let's talk about the mythological gods in the heavens. And he wrote, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One of the interesting things, and I want to show you just a picture from the, from the constellations in the heavens, one of the most interesting constellations for me is that constellation of Draco the dragon. Draco the dragon, you'll see there in that, in that picture, is a constellation whose tail wraps around a third of the northern hemisphere. It's undoubtedly the, the largest and most far-reaching of all, of all the constellations. But what's even more interesting, you'll notice that right above the head of Draco the dragon is Hercules, as his name was given by the Greeks. But notice what Hercules is doing. His foot is above the head of Draco the dragon, as if to crush the head of the serpent. It may not be with, with, uh, by, by inconsequential that, that Draco the dragon makes up about one-third of the stars in that northern hemisphere in terms of the, uh, the distance it wraps. And it may not be without, uh, without significance that it was Satan who it says in Revelation chapter 12 took the tail of his, of his the serpent took his tail and with him swept away one-third of all the angels of God and they became transformed into his followers. You see, everything paints a picture. God wants us to understand something about his divine plan. And so when he says the heavens declare the very glory of God, we look up and, and and though we've become unaccustomed to the watching and the looking of nature and the creation of God, God has, has left his mark. God has left his presence in the universe so that the, the things that are made reflect the things of God and the divine power of Almighty God. There's another interesting thing that God begins to take us into, and it ties this scripture back in in just a moment. I'll show it to you, but first I want to begin to introduce this idea of the secret place of the Most High God. Have you ever thought about the secret place of the Most High God? It's spelled out in scripture in many places. In Psalm 91, I want to take you there to the first two verses. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high did you notice that god uses that definite article there there is there is a secret place that's defined as specific by god it's the secret place of god it's a place of access that's deeper and richer than the casual christian's going to discover and yet it's open and available to every christian every believer it says, he who dwells there, who, who, who has his, abide, his abode there, it says, in the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So when I get into the secret place of God, I am protected under the shadow of the Almighty, and it is there that I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and he is my fortress, and in God, in him will I trust. So, I can enter into the secret place of the Most High God, it tells us here. Now, let me just fast forward you to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, and verses 17 and 18. And Jesus is giving directions about fasting. And look what he says But you, when you fast, there's an assumption you will fast. When you fast, it says, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear unto men as fasting. In other words, don't walk around sad saying, oh, how you doing? Well, I'm not doing good. I'm fasting. And don't make yourself look, you know, sad and, you know, wear old clothes and wrinkled clothes and, and unironed clothes and just say, look at me, I'm fasting. You know, don't you feel sorry for me? I'm hungry. You know, the idea is, no, 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 no. I, want you to, I don't want you to, to, to try to, to, to project that. He says, but to your Father who is in, now look at what it says, the secret place. You see, what happens here is Jesus ties it back to Psalm 91 into the secret place. There's something I want you to understand about the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you publicly. See, when we enter into the secret place of God, you say, well, how do I do that? I hear it and I want that. How do I do it? I believe it really can be as simple as this. Father, I want to enter into the secret place. I want to enter into the presence of the Almighty. My, my Christianity is a little bit too casual. It's a little bit too common. I need to enter into the secret place. And as I allow God's presence to fill me, and as I invite the Spirit of God to minister to me, what happens is he allows me in my spirit man to move into the secret place of the Most High God. It goes on to say in Psalm 91 in verse 3, he he gives us many benefits and many promises in that chapter. I encourage you to read Psalm 91, but he says that first of all, he's going to deliver you. It says in verse 3, Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. He begins to describe different kind of enemies that come against you, and here's one that's a perilous pestilence. In other words, it will kill you, but it will act like a pestilence. It will act like something that is a plague that moves through your life. Then he also says, I will remove fear from you. Look in verses 5 and 6. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. You ever heard of night terrors? Do you realize Scripture spoke about that 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago? terrors of the night. He says, you shall not be afraid of the terror by the night or the arrow that flies by the day. Those are the, those are the fiery arrows that are spoken of in, in Ephesians six, nor of the pestilence that walks. You ever seen pestilence walk? He's talking about the enemy of the pestilence that walks among you. And it just, it just takes and begins to eat away at you it walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lies at noonday. And, and what you notice here is that he's saying, you know, there's not going to be a moment in your day or in your night when you're not open to attack, but in the secret place of the Most High God, you find security. And then he grants victory. In in uh, verse 7, it says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. There's the promise. God, I want the promises of Psalm 91. I want to enter into the secret place of the Most High God. And then I want to take you to the final verse in 91 for today, and it is this in verse 13. Look what it says. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Do you see how God brought that back? From Genesis chapter 3, he brought it back to the cross to back here to Psalm 91. You shall trample under the serpent. Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 tells us that there's coming a time when Satan will be fully trampled under our foot. But when we make a decision, God, I enter into the victory of Jesus, and when he crushed the serpent's head, I'm a part of that victory. I too crushed the serpent's head. He doesn't have power over me. He tries to frighten in night terrors. He tries to frighten by the arrows that fly by the day. He tries to bring a deadly pestilence. He tries to do this and to do that. But God says, no, abide under the shadow of the almighty God. Amen. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Can I just encourage you to enter into the secret place of the most high God this morning? Just enter in. Just under your breath right now, in your heart, just say, God, I want to enter into the secret place. I want to be in that place of your presence. I want to be in that place of your protection. And then believe that God is for you and not against you. you know, sometimes when, when you go through some of those things, you think, God, are you for me here? What's going on, God? Are you on my side? Or are you against me? You see, God is always for you. God is always loving you. Well, I don't know if God loves me. No, God loves you. God loved you when you were his enemy. How much more does he love you now as his child? But here's the the real key. God's provision for you is waiting your acceptance. You see, sometimes we stand here and go, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I I don't know if God's going to do anything. No, God says, here it is. Would you like to take it? Would you like to come and receive from me? Would you like to have a bounty that comes from my hand? On Good Friday, we had a, a prayer and healing service. Many of you were here, and uh, one of the, uh, one of the people that uh, Rich and I actually prayed for and and as we began to pray for this person and, and there was just struggles from that went back to childhood and and, uh, and and there didn't appear to be a real victory that night. It was just like you know, did anything happen? I haven't even told Rich this yet, but but the very next Sunday. That Sunday, that person came up to me and said, I want you to know that I was standing there, I didn't feel any victory, but it was almost as the minute I just began to walk out the doors, all of a sudden, I was just had a complete filling and a restoration and, and a healing that came from all of my past, all of my past. Why? Why did that happen? Because somehow when we enter into that presence of God, we get all the benefits that God has. When we step outside of that, we don't get the benefits of God. We step outside and we go, God, why not me? Why not me? And God says, here it is. Would you enter into the secret place? Would you enter into my power and my grace? Would you let me do something in your life? I've been dying to do something in your life. Why do you resist me so much? Why do you disbelieve me so much? Why do you harden your heart against me so much? I want to do something in your life. What does God want to do in your life this morning? What is it right now that's the burden you carry? And you said, God, if you could just take this burden and just lift it off of me, what would it be? Everybody probably has something. It might be something physically you're going through, mentally, emotionally, financially. What would it be the thing that you'd say, God, if you could just lift it? Would you, let me just ask you, would you give that to him today? Would you just give that to him today? Would you say, God, I don't want it anymore in my life. I give it to you today. Let's stand together, and as we pray, I'm going to ask you to just to think about what that one thing might be that you would give to God today. And the band's going to come, and they're going to play, and as they play, I want you to listen to this music about just being broken, as Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. And it may be something today you just need to die to. You say, God, I need to die to this feeling, this emotion, this experience, this person. I need to quit striving against God. I need to quit trusting in in myself, and I need to be trusting in God. I need to love. I need to forgive. What do you need to do today? What do you give to God so that you can experience the, the full healing and the restoration that comes from Almighty God? What does it look like to you it's different for every one of us. But every in every situation, it is that thing that prevents us from having the, having the victory and the joy that God intends for us. What is that thing that you would give to God? Father, as we pray, as we bow our heads before you, God, and we invite you, Spirit of God, just to lead us into the secret place of the Most High God. And in that secret place of the Most High God, we find, we find that protection that comes under the shadow of your wing, the refuge of the Almighty God. God, in your presence there is power, and in your presence there is healing. In your power there is forgiveness. In your presence there is restoration. In your presence there are joys forevermore. In your presence there is life. Everything has to be left outside the door. When you enter into the presence, you can't bring that into the presence of God. He doesn't he will have nothing to do with it. He only wants you to come as you leave things there so that you can fully enjoy what it means to be in the secret place of the Most High God. Are you striving in some area? Leave it at the door. Is there bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart? Leave it at the door. Is there confusion? Is there difficulty? Is there doubt? Leave it at the door. Enter into the secret place of the Most High God. For it's there that you find deliverance. It's there that you find refuge. It's there that you find help. It's there that you find healing. Have you struggled with some healing that you want God to do in your life? And you, you look at other people healed and you say, why not me, God? See, that can even be a resistance to the Spirit of God. You have to leave that at the door too and say, why not me, God? All the promises of God were given to all of His people. He's not withheld anything from any one of us. Leave it at the door and enter into the secret place of the Most High God. God is moving right now. Would you give it to Him? What's on your mind? Leave it at the door. Let's enter into the secret place of the Most High God and as we do, As God is moving your heart, as God, just give it to him. If you want to come to this prayer altar here at the front and just pray, um, members of our prayer team will be here to greet you and to pray with you. But leave it at the door. Give it up and just enjoy the very presence of the Almighty God today.